We're continuing a series on the book of Romans. Can't wait to open that up to you in a minute. Let me share something humorous. God was talking to one of his angels. He said, do you know what I've just done? I've created 24 hours of alternating light and darkness on the earth. Isn't that good? The angel said, yes, but what are you going to do now? God says, I think I'll call it a day. Yeah, that's, that's it. In Romans chapter 9, we'll be reading. Um, chapter 8 is my favorite chapter. I preached a couple weeks on it, um, but I could have preached 20 weeks out of the 8th chapter of Romans. And I am uh, going, we're going through the, I think in 10 weeks, we will finish the book of Romans, which is kind of a sin, because uh, it could, could take several years, but we're, we're, according to our schedule, according to a lot of things going on, and I, um, when we talk about the book of Romans, it is the most uh, comprehensive theological book in the Bible, you know, 16 chapters. And Paul didn't write it to solve a church issue like most of the epistles. He wrote it to people he had never met yet. And he was just ex expounding on the gospel, expounding on the kingdom from kind of A to Z. So it was just a beautiful uh, litany, beautiful examination and really definition and expression of kingdom truth and biblical understanding. And it includes so many things. I can't wait till next week. Just chapter 12 is amazing too. But in chapter 9, Paul uh, starts talking about his own roots and his own kind of agony about what was happening with his Jewish brethren. I tell you the truth, I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have a great sorrow and continued grief in my heart. I wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, according to the flesh. He, uh, Paul said, I would, like beautiful Mary said, I, I would trade places with you. If you could know Christ, I would give up being saved. So that kind of passion, of course, it's just expressing the level of passion. It wasn't a possibility. But he said, man, I, I want you guys to know what I've known course, when you read about Paul's conversion, it was very dramatic and took quite an event to accomplish. But he says, man, I want you guys to know the Messiah. I want you to know the one. And he kind of concludes, this whole chapter is beautifully concluded in the last three verses, last four verses, beginning with verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, the Jewish people, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Of course, the stumbling stone being Christ himself. So Paul said this, so the law is perfect. The law given to Moses, the law of Torah, the law of the Old Testament, the law given to us in Scripture... All of those commandments, ordinances are perfect. The only problem was they couldn't make you righteous. And so no matter how many laws you kept, there are always laws you broke. So the law was not given to mankind to give us another way to get to heaven. The, the essential, eventual, and ultimate function of the law was to convict us all of guilt so we would all qualify for grace. Because like Dr. McRae said so eloquently, we are all sinners in need of grace. No matter what your background is. And so that's the law did. And so 
he, he's saying the law couldn't get you there. And, and, and now all these people that did not have a couple thousand years of history with God, these Gentiles now, they're experiencing the righteousness of God because they're getting it by faith. And you, you that have been walking in the commandments of God, the ordinance of God, the statutes of God, the festivals of God, the, you know, the, 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 the whole uh, uh, revealed uh, uh, word of God, you that have been walking in that have not attained your righteousness because you've done it by works. And so it's really simple. Grace is Jesus plus nothing. And they stumbled at Christ primarily because they thought Christ would come as a political, cultural Messiah. So they're under great persecution, great oppression. The Roman Empire, it's hard to describe how evil, how violent, how hostile it was. And they're all hoping for a deliverer, that they would be delivered from that oppression. And instead of a, a political leader, they got Jesus. And Jesus shows up and said, hey, love your enemies. They're like, we thought God was going to kill them. What happened to those good stuff? You know, strike them dead. The good prayers of David. May they go bald and blind and die. Amen. <laughs> no, Christ showed up a different way than they expected. Now, there's more to that because chapter 11, I'm going to come to chapter 10, but I want to skip to chapter 11 now because... In the church, uh, I've grown up and heard many times, many preachers, many denominations, many church groups have what we call a theology concerning Israel uh, under the heading of replacement theology. And replacement theology says God's done with Israel, God's done with the Jews, and the church has supplanted them, has replaced them. So they missed it, they missed their moment, they they. They stumbled, and now the church has replaced them. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says plainly in chapter 11, here we are. I see then, has God cast away his people, the Jewish people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. So, he's, so he was a high-standing person in Jewish culture and, and in Jewish Church, Jewish religious leadership. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know the scripture that says of Elijah? So he said, he says this, God didn't throw them away. God temporarily blinded them so the rest of the world could be saved. Man, this gets really good about God's massive care for all mankind. Verse 5 says, the present time, there's a remnant according to the election of faith. There are Jews that are coming to the, I've served for 15 years on the board of uh, Jewish Voice Ministries International, one of the largest outreaches to Jewish people in the whole world. And we see all the, uh, all the time Jews around the world coming to the revelation of Yahshua Mashiach being their Messiah. Awesome stuff, Okay. But it's a remnant compared to the rest of the population. It's by grace, verse 5. If, and if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace no, um, is no longer grace. But if it's works, it's no longer grace. It's work instead of grace. And so he said, Ben, if, if you get there by keeping the law, 
If, if that's how salvation comes, then you've discarded, diminished, devalued grace. So, so grace is Jesus plus nothing, God doing it all. And works is I've earned my salvation by my achievements. So interesting thing, because we're talking about Jews, but for 2,000 years, church histories, church denominations, church groups, and church theology has messed this up too. So it's amazing how many belief systems within Christianity have all these kind of additional things added to it. Was Jesus plus this? You know, well, you can't go to heaven. I'd say all the time, people say, oh, you can't go to heaven. Well, people shouldn't do certain things. They shouldn't do certain sins. They should be bound by certain things. But, but well, whenever you give your standard of what you think people need to have to be saved, you stepped away from grace. See, we grew up at the time where the standard of holiness was measured by physical, by the, the length of a woman's skirt and by various things. Women weren't allowed to wear makeup and because it was sinful and we don't, you know, it, it, it just was, a, you know, stupid stuff. And, it, you know, if, if you're a woman, you should dress modestly because men are, you know, visual. But, let, you know, God will help you develop holiness in that part of your life. But we don't tell women when they come in, I'm sorry, you can't come in today. Your dress is too short. You with me? No, we, we tell them, you know, come in. Jesus is going to touch you. And a couple, in a couple months, you're going to wear longer dresses just because Jesus be working on you. I just felt like the Lord told me I should, I should, you know, I should dress a little bit more modestly. Well, it's just cool when God does it. Okay, that's just a, a kind of a simple example. But my, my point is this. In the church world, we've added all our stuff. A couple years ago, a woman came to me. She says, Pastor, Pastor, I'm new to the church, and I'm, I just can't escape this haunting thought. At my last church, the pastor said to me, said to us, we're going soul witnessing on Saturday. If you don't come witnessing with us on Saturday, you're going to hell. Now see, we're tempted in church leadership to add our opinion to grace because we want, we, we, we want to make sure people do it. You love me? We don't know if we can trust grace. To change people. So, what, what put, so the lady said, is, is it true? I, I couldn't make it. Am I going to hell? No, you're not going to hell, sister. That's just the pastor using fear to manipulate behavior. Leaders and all, across all kinds of things have done that. That's just silly. It's untrue. And it's really a deception. So whenever we add anything to it, amen, anything to, you know, someone a couple years ago here in the church Pastor, Pastor, here, I, I don't want to complain, but one of the ushers you have, I was after church and they were out there smoking a cigarette. How can you have people smoking and then serving the church? You know, and, you know, the, and their inference was they're not even really saved. And, and uh, you know, Pastor, do you believe that people that smoke are going to hell? No, of course not. They just go to heaven earlier. Come on. It's not good for their body. But that doesn't determine their salvation. Come on. 
throw down your stone and go back home. Stop, stop judging people because they don't meet your criteria. We're about to see the greatest in gathering of people to Christ and a bunch of them, they're going to come in kind of unperfected. Yeah. See, my parents had a hippie church right here in town in the 60s by accident. My cousin and uncle got saved and they were drug dealers. And so when they got saved, they started, you know, dealing hope. Not dope. And, then, but, you know, we, we had like 50, 60 kids, you know, from 18, maybe from 17 to 20, 22, 23 in our living room. And, and they were, you know, long haired and, and, and they, they looked like hippies. They were hippies. So my, my, my parents called every church in town. We, we have like 60 hippies. Can we bring them to church? And every church in town we called said, no, well, yes, you can, but the men have to get haircuts and the girls have to wear dresses. And my dad's like, that might happen in five years, but it isn't going to happen now. It, it, it's, it, it, was, it was so, such a revelation. We keep praying for a harvest and then we reject it when God sends it. We, it, it's like instead of going fishing, we want, we, we, we want a cleaned and cooked meal. Well, we don't want those fish are dirty. That's the way sinners come to Jesus. They got issues. They got stuff. Okay, everybody, everybody got stuff. Okay, I'm spending too much time on that. So, uh, verse 11, or, uh, verse uh, eight, excuse me. Verse seven. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, the Gentiles that were receiving grace. And the rest of them were blinded. Everybody say blinded. Verse eight. God's given them a spirit of stupor. Okay, a sleeping spirit. Verse 10. Their eyes being darkened so they can't see. So he's talking about, okay, this is a part of the predestined sovereign purpose of God was to engraft Gentiles to the tree of the historic uh, relationship he had with the Jews for salvation, but to do that, he had to then temporarily separate the Jews from the full understanding of who their Messiah was. So, I know part of it is this, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree, that's Gentiles, were grafted in among them and became partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. So, so here's, here's the problem after a couple thousand years. It's easy for Gentile believers to completely forget the debt we owe to Jewish people. Thank you for two, mm. Because the Bible says, how can we both, we, we were engrafted in, they were the tree. In the first couple decades of the church, every person in the church was Jewish. Because the commandment of Christ was only go to Israel and then proselyte Jews, Gentiles that had converted. That's all. There wasn't any Gentiles getting saved, hearing the gospel. Then Peter, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, 
is at a person's house and he's upstairs at the patio, you know, having a, just a great quiet time with God and he falls into a trance. And in the trance, he, he, he sees unclean animals. Here comes a little piggy, oink, 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 oink. Here comes some lobster, some crab. So, and the Lord said to him, three times he saw it, and three times the Lord said, kill and eat. And Peter said, I've never eaten anything unclean. I keep a proper Jewish kosher diet. And the Lord said to him, do not call unclean what I've cleansed. And so while Peter's thinking about what's going on here, people knock on the door downstairs and the Lord said, go with them and don't hesitate. Don't doubt. And he goes with them. And an angel had told this man named Cornelius to send for Peter. And so where he was at, and so they sent for him. And Peter comes to Cornelius, a Gentile soldier. And Peter starts preaching the gospel to them. And Peter says, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He does not respect people. Right in that moment, it took a massive encounter from heaven for Peter to break away from the theology that Gentiles couldn't be saved. I pray it doesn't take a massive encounter from heaven for the Gentile church to reclaim our honor, respect, devotion, and debt to the Jewish people. <laughs> Peter's preaching away how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, Acts 2, 38. And the Bible says, while he was still speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on them all. And they started praying in heavenly tongues. And Peter said, I didn't even talk to you about tongues yet. You just skipped ahead four points in my sermon. And Peter said, can anyone prevent us from baptizing them in water, seeing they're now spirit-filled? And they, so there was... There was a, a controversy in Jerusalem because they heard about Gentiles getting saved. And it took this massive turnaround. Now, now here we are 2,000 years later, and the church has almost forgot its roots. Every writer of the Bible was Jewish. <clears throat> well, primarily. And... We, we owe a debt to them to pray for them, to honor them, to respect them. Now, I've seen in my ministry, or my just walk with Christ, really, I've led many Jewish people to their Messiah. Almost every time it happened through a sign and a wonder prophetically delivered. There's a deep hunger in the Jewish community for the supernatural. I've, I've seen some crazy miracles praying for Jewish people, and then watch them come to their Messiah. Really, really cool stuff. Okay, so here we are with this obligation. Let me close this idea and then move on to chapter 10. Verse 25, I don't want you, uh, I do not de desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own opinion. There it is, arrogance separated from the knowledge and debt we have to Jewish people. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So God says, there's a time when their blindness ends. I believe it's in my lifetime. I was with Jonathan Burness on TBN maybe a long time ago, um, 15, 20 years ago. And I had a vision for him, and I shared it, I think, on live TV. And I said, I see... Um, 
Jonathan Burns, the, the president of Jewish Voice International. And I said, I see uh, these Orthodox Jews at the Wailing Wall, and they're divining, they're praying, reciting scripture over and over and over as they pray, as they do, and back, rocking back and forth. And, but, it, but the sun was in full eclipse. So it was like twilight. It wasn't totally dark, but it was, it was very dark. And suddenly, the eclipse started ending in stages, like the moon pulling away from this, blocking the sun. So the light started shining brighter and brighter. And one by one, the Orthodox Jews pointed toward the sun and say, we can see the sun now. And I knew that in my lifetime, the blindness would be removed and the greatest harvest of Jewish people the world has ever seen come to Christ would happen. Next verse. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. Now that does not mean because you have Jewish ancestry or blood, you're saved. It means this. The blindness will be end and every Jew will have the legitimate opportunity to know their Messiah. That's what it means because they get saved the same way we get saved. By the blood of Jesus. Chapter 10. Okay, let's have some fun here. Here's some shouting stuff. Okay. Verse 6. The righteousness of faith speaks this way. Everybody say speaks. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend to the abyss to bring Christ back from the dead? So the problem with religion is... It sends long-distance letters to God asking for help. Oh, oh, God, you're in heaven. I'm down here. Please help us. Oh, Christ in the grave. So religion has these two tension points. And, and both of them stop miracles from happening. These tension points of not recognizing that God's right here, right now. And so we, we, what does the righteousness of faith speak like? The word, verse 8, is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we preach. And so, here's what God said. The answer is in your mouth. Thank you, brother. Pastor, what are you saying? So, so this is not, we're talking about salvation, but it's talking about the full concept and the full functionality of how faith works. Faith works when it is spoken. Faith is initiated by hearing God's word, but faith is activated by speaking God's word. I want to share this little thought with you I shared yesterday when I was so, because I had time to pray in the airport for 10 hours. And uh, prophetic vision saw a large mountain range with many high peaks in it. Suddenly, one by one, these great mountains began to violently shake until they were lifted up off the ground and into the air and then quickly thrown into the ocean. Heard the voice of the Lord say, my children are learning to function in the authority I've given them. 
they're beginning to move great mountains by their faith, their words, and their prayers. There is no mountain of human difficulty or demonic oppression that can't be moved when my word is in the mouth of my people. How Jesus said this in Mark 11, verse 22, have faith in God. Then he said, here's how that faith looks like. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed. Most of the time, we describe our mountains to God instead of commanding our mountains to move. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast it to the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe the things he says shall come to pass. Next sentence. He will have whatever he says. Now here's the point because I lose my evangelical friends. Oh, you, 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 you confess it. You blab it, grab it people. As if the Bible doesn't talk about words quite a bit. Just read your Bible. The whole purpose of, of that illustration is this. Anything God gives you faith for, you're supposed to have. Stop begging for things faith has told you you already have. Come on. Oh God, help me, help me, help me. I, I, I'm going to help you. Here's my word. Most of the time, God answers our prayer by giving us a word. The word becomes a weapon when it becomes our word. When we say what we hear, we'll see what we say. When you say it, God can do it. Now here's, because now, now faith, the, the belief, anytime faith awakens in you, God's telling you that's yours. What you going to do about it? Well, you need to act like. Joel chapter 3 says this. Let weak people say they're strong. Well, I don't believe in that. That's dishonest. No, that's faith. God's not called us to be observers and describers of difficult mountains. God's anointed us by the Holy Spirit and His Word to be mountain movers. <laughs> America's going to hell to hand back. Ah, this president, that president. Well, anybody can see what's wrong. Kingdom people see and say how God's going to make it right. Come on. Praying for my son years ago, God rebuked me. He said, stop praying the problem, start praying the promise. When I put God's word in my mouth, my son had breakthroughs. I don't know what you're needing. I just know this. The primary way God will bring a victory to you is by your own word. His word in your mouth releases his will in your life. Come on. Proverbs says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. I don't want to stay here too long, but I, I see one of the consequences of a tough season is our vocabulary weakens and becomes negative. We, Mary and I went through 
hell on earth. 27 years old, Matthew was there too. And we, we had gone to see Matthew's game in Maricopa. He was a freshman. And uh, I remember he won the game at the buzzer. It was really fun. And so I'd, I'd driven there in our Honda minivan. I'm sorry for telling this story, honey. Close your ears. She was like, don't you got any new stories? I said, give me a couple more years. I'll add some more stuff to it. And uh, I spent all day with, I had 15 lawyers, one five. Spent all day, maybe five or six hours with lawyers with not one good news in all those meetings. I'm sitting in front of the car, Melody and her friends in the back, teenagers, they're having fun. And I said, driving my car to Maricopa, I I said, I feel like I'm cursed. Man, this, this thing has gone from bad to worse. And, you know, I'm having a pity party and it was fun. Matthew wins the game. And I, we had this old jalopy Honda green minivan. And I come out after, after, the, after the game. And, I, and I'm, um, there's always this moment of denial and shock when your car is stolen. You're like, I parked it there. It's not there. I left it there. Where could it be? It's not that. I remember I parked it between a Mercedes and a Lexus. I think I did it just to be ordinary. I'll show you, people. Here's a Honda minivan with 200,000 miles. And uh, I come out. There's the Mercedes and there's the Lexus. And the Honda's gone. And my first thought was, what kind of genius criminal walks around the Mercedes Ignores the Lexus as I want that Honda minivan. <laughs> that lime green color, that, that, those dents, oh, that would just be lovely. <laughs> and it's, it's gone, please calm, you know. Most, they probably took it for joy, right? They're telling me all this stuff. I'm not in the mood for anything. I'm, I'm over there, but everybody's staying away from me because I'm like. <laughs> and the Lord starts talking to me, he says, would you like to know why your car is stolen? Yes. I said, yes, almighty knowing one. <laughs> I didn't say that. I probably thought that. I said, yeah, 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 Lord. He said, because it was the only cursed car in the parking lot. <laughs> then he reminded me what I said three hours earlier. I feel like I'm cursed. Don't let your words fuel your enemy's assault against you. We, we got enough stuff going on without contributing to our own demise by the way we talk. And so when we, so when the Lord healed me from depression, he taught me to forgive people that had hurt me, all these things, but then he had to sharpen my vocabulary because I had become kind of cynical and pessimistic and the Lord really took me to task for this. He said, you will never become powerful until you become disciplined in your words. See, you cannot be a strong believer as long as you have a weak vocabulary. Confessing God's word on Sunday and the devil's word on Monday. So the Lord helped me retrain my mouth. I don't know what you've been through. I just know this. God's going to use you, your words. God took Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37 and to a, on a field trip. Let's go on a field trip. Ezekiel, okay, where are we going? We're going to a valley. They go to the valley and 
they passed over it like several times, and Ezekiel said there was, it was filled with dry, dead bones. There was very, very many of them, and they were very dry. So God lets them see the quality and the, and the quantity. It's a lot, and they're bad. Then the Lord says to him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, you know, Lord, that I, you know. He was afraid to answer. And God said, okay, open your mouth and prophesy and speak to dead things. Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You shall live. And I did as he commanded me. And there was a shaking and a rattling and a coming together bone to bone and then muscle and tissue and cells and structure. And then they rose up and then I prophesied breath into them and they rose up a great army. And God says, if I could do that, don't you think I could resurrect Israel like God did in 1948, miraculously the nation. He did all these things. Now here's my point. What does God want to resurrect in your world? What is God ready for you to prophesy back to life? Stop telling God how bad things are. He knows. <laughs> a, a couple of things. Things are worse than you think they are. Because God knows everything. And our prayer life is, you know, spilling the tea to God. God, I, don't, I know you're busy, but this, there's a mess over here. These people, God, are prayers when God speaks to us. So I talk to God, he talks to me. Then I talk to mountains. Come on. Talk to God. He talks to me. Then he says, go get him. And then I start talking to mountains. Hear the word of the Lord. Our children, our marriage, our family, our health, our business, our ministry, whatever it is. I got to finish this sermon. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God's raised from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. So that's how faith works. I believe in my heart, and righteousness comes. But salvation's not unleashed until I say it with my mouth. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. When that happens, salvation is complete. So that's how faith works in that case. Listen, and in every expression, okay. When I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is my healer. When I believe in my heart and speak with my mouth, by his stripes I'm healed. The same grace that forgave my sins and made me a believer will heal my body because he's the same promiser. It's all his word. Verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, faith is initiated when we hear it and when our faith awakens to believe it. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is rich to all that call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I, so I grew up in a time, it was common in our doctrinal and uh, preaching and denominational beliefs for us uh, to talk about, well, there's going to be people are going to be surprised, but who doesn't make it to heaven? And the Lord would always talk to me, he, kind of laughingly, I'm going to shock so many preachers by who makes it to heaven. And, and, because there's, 
there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus. So there's going to be people in heaven that you wouldn't let in. I can't believe they let you in. But it, 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 it's Jesus. God will save anybody. God's a promiscuous lover. Excuse me for saying that. God will forgive anybody. The most wretched sinner. The most self-righteous preacher. He'll save anybody. Whoever calls. There's no distinction. May we live with that kind of unbiased purity. Instead of putting everybody in categories. Oh, you're in that category. You're in that category. No, I'm in the saved category. I was in the unsaved category. That's the only two things that matter. Ultimately, verse 14. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how the, shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they're sent? For it is written, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace to bring good tidings of good things. So he says these five things in closing. People can't get saved until they call. They can't call until they believe. They can't believe until they hear. They can't hear until someone preaches. They, they, they can't hear someone preach until someone's sent. So, so he said these five things. People are sent to preach so people can hear, believe, and be saved. Now, let me just say it like this because this, you know, we use this for preachers. Uh, it's for believer. Every person here is a sent one. <clears throat> Matthew played college basketball, high school basketball. So when you play sports, sometimes your toes become uh, unnaturally shaped. You break your foot a few toes, you know. So, so my toes, my feet are not naturally beautiful from sports, especially when I was young and the things I played. But the Lord says over Michael, Michael, you got beautiful feet. In fact, I'm wearing my birthday present shoes. Someone in this church got me. They're beautiful shoes. Now, here's my point. Every person that shares Jesus with other people, God says has beautiful feet. And the Lord says, stop, stop telling the Lord he can't use you because you haven't been the four years of seminary. Because you don't know as much of the Bible as pastor does. Because you don't, if you know Jesus, you're ready. You're ready. Revival is here. A great awakening is here. God's moving in college campuses, maybe 30, 40 of them now across the country. A sovereign act of God. The time has come, but this is not a revival that will be regional. We don't have to travel to Kentucky or travel to California. This is a revival any place people with beautiful feet are walking. In hotels, in hospitals, in airports, in schools, in businesses. Every place we walk, God says, I want you to be a carrier of the good news. I want you to have the, the, the opportunity to share the good things. It's all good. God loves a broken world. Jesus died to save us from our sin. God wants us in heaven with him. That's why Christ came to take our place and win the victory. And God will help us all be carriers of the great gospel of Christ. And we all will partake in revival. 
some of the greatest miracles that are about to hit this generation aren't going to be preacher-centric events. It's just going to be people with beautiful feet. Praying for people out there. Loving them, leading them to Christ. Thank you for listening to me today. Would you stand your feet, please? Prayer TV, if you join me down front. Would you lift your hands and say this to me, Heavenly Father. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for sending Jesus. I pray for the Jewish people. I pray for the protection of the nation of Israel. I pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Forgive me if I've had a bias against anyone in that world. Use me to be a blessing and a voice. I'm ready, Lord. Help me move mountains. Show me the mountains that you want to move. Show me the miracles you want to do. Show me the victories. You're ready to win. I'm ready to move with you. I'm ready to flow with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, someone give God a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, beautiful Mary wanted me to not go to Houston. Rightfully so, was it Will? I knew I had to prophesy revival to Houston because it's coming in April. I know he wouldn't release me from that. And then I was so glad I did. Something's happening. I don't know what God's ready to do in your world. I just know your voice is going to be a large part of what he does. When God puts his word in your mouth, his will is released in your life. As we close today's service, we want to invite every person here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know if you're saved, if you don't know if you're forgiven, if you don't know if heaven is your home, we would be honored to pray for you and leads you lovingly into the arms of Jesus. That's our greatest goal. If you've been away from God, make this your homecoming Sunday. And give the devil two black eyes by surrendering your life to Christ. If you need a healing in your body or your mind, please let someone pray for you. There's been a great grace all service long for healing. And lastly, maybe you're just going through a, a torturously difficult time. If you are in your life, we'd be honored to pray for you. Don't go home if you need prayer today. Just for 60 seconds longer, church, would you worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward? Every victory is yours.
Mary and I love you. We're honored and humbled to serve this church. Have a wonderful rest of your day and a great week. Don't forget, men, Friday night is going to be a great night. Tell someone Jesus loves you. Let praise you. You're welcome to stay here as long as you'd like. We're going to keep praying for people until everyone's prayed for. God bless you.